last week we we began uh, um, the the, the historical background for the book of Isaiah, and today we'll still have to be doing some background stuff, um, but we're going to turn to Scripture. So you get your Bible out. <laughs> That's been something rare for us in the last few weeks, but uh, uh, get your Bible out. I have to be able to, to, to work with you together in a common view of what prophecy is, and so we're going to go to Scripture and look to see what Scripture has to say about this. Um, Consequently, the only way we can really define a biblical term is to look at its usage in the Bible. Uh, you can go to dictionaries. I had a professor whom I call my favorite professor who uh, was good with a one-liner. <laughs> and he said, many students come to Dallas Seminary to study Greek and Hebrew so they'll never have to read another commentary. And I thought, that's... Uh, Pretty, pretty much why I'm here <laughs> when he said that. He said, this is a very arrogant attitude. <laughs> uh, he said, if, if the Lord has put, a great, has put the gift of teaching in the church, then he's put a great part of that gift of teaching in the, in the great books of the church. And to cut ourselves off from the great books of the church is to cut ourselves off from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I, I was duly ch- uh, chastened. And then he added... Uh, but we have to remember that a dictionary, a, a uh, language dictionary, is simply an unusual form of commentary. Uh, do, do you know how they make commentaries? I mean, how they make dictionaries? Do you? Move, move your heads, right? People who are involved in uh, updating or, in fact, writing a dictionary will go around with, with note cards in their hands, and when they hear a word used in an unusual way, they'll stop and, and take notes of it and then file it away. And eventually it becomes a dictionary. So you're watching to see how people are using language. You're reading, you're listening, and then you, you simply make a brief entry in a dictionary telling us this word has these senses. Does that make sense to you? Um, now with an ancient dictionary, that's, uh, the, the, you, you've lost half or more of the information. Uh, so no living speakers of the language that you can listen to and hear them say what they're saying. Uh, the only thing we have left is the, the body of written literature in the language that we can look at and see what it means. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at um, uh, the, uh, the concept of prophet from Scripture. And the first thing to see is, is Genesis 20, verse 7. So turn to Genesis 20. This is going to be... Do you remember sword drills? Yeah? It's going to be a sword drill today. <laughs> Got several passages we need to look at. Genesis 20. Got to set, the, set the, uh, the, the story for us here. This is Abraham at Gerar with King Abimelech. And he's lied about his wife. Okay? Uh, so, um, verse 6, God said to Abimelech, the king of Fer- the, the Philistine king of Gerar, um, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, Know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. Observe from this, uh, we'd, we'd need to read a little more to get all that, all that I'm about to say, but it wouldn't take much more. A prophet, speaking as a prophet, tells the truth, but a prophet who's not speaking the word of the Lord can lie. Okay? <laughs> well, no, even Abraham lies about his wife. And he's a prophet. He's not a false prophet. <laughs> so when he sits ex-cathedra. That when he sits ex-cathedra. <laughs> uh, uh, there's another fellow in uh, Israel's history who is a prophet of God living in the northern kingdom who tells another prophet of God that he should come to his house, that the Lord told him that, and he's lying. So uh, you've got some problems here. We've got several problems with prophets, but 
the, but critically, in this passage, the prophet is one who has the presence of the Lord. Okay? I don't know whether they were wrapped or not, but he has the presence of the Lord. It was intended to be a joke. It's a good thing you're not in my class at school. In my class at school, you'd never pass. Uh, so, uh, yes, and that's acceptable. Perfectly acceptable. Groaning is acceptable at my jokes. So, uh, Exodus now, Exodus chapter four. Let's turn over there. Two passages that we need in Exodus. Um, in chapter four, verses fifteen to seventeen, Abraham is. I'm sorry. Uh, Moses is before the Lord now being called to be the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. And he says, look, I can't talk. I, I, and <laughs> as if that was an issue. Um, the Lord never calls us because of our abilities. He usually calls us because of our inabilities. <laughs> Takes us to the places where we are least prepared to, to function so that we have to rely on him. If I can rely on my ability, then it's not god necessarily at work it's it's me but if i'm if i'm in an area of weakness then god has to go to work and he does that's the amazing thing so in in exodus 14 uh, sorry exodus 4 verse 15 um by the way pick up verse 14 then the anger of the lord burned against moses <laughs> i i made your mouth so verse 15 He's going to give him Aaron. What a great gift. Amen? <laughs> Guy who makes golden calves. So he's going to give him Aaron. Uh, you are to speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. Um, you shall take uh, in your hand the, uh, the staff with which you shall go uh, do also perform the signs. The point here is that the, the process that God goes through when he's making a prophet is he puts the word in the prophet's mouth and the prophet speaks it. Um, I have spent a good deal of time this week getting ready for this class this morning. <laughs> um, and I've been making notes and reading commentaries and looking at texts. and um, That means I'm not a prophet. We knew that. Yo, you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife especially knows that because there's been very little profit at our home. But, uh, <laughs> and I work at a nonprofit organization. So... <laughs> It was actually formed to be a nonprofit, so I can say that. But, but the, the function, the way you become a prophet is not by praying and, and then getting this notion and you, you speak. It's that God places the word in your mouth. And there are two remarkable passages like that, that call this up. First, in Jeremiah 1, 2, and 3, and then in Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3, the call of these two prophets, especially with Ezekiel, God... Do you, do you remember in, in, in Revelation, there's, a, uh, there's an angel with a scroll in his hand, and he tells John, eat this. Yeah, Same thing happens to Ezekiel. God, there's a, a scroll, and God hands it to Ezekiel, and he says, eat this. And subsequently, he says, see, I have put my word in your mouth. Are you with me here? So it's not, this is not a planned message. It's not something that a prophet prepares or thinks about or it, it's that it's this is a message given by God so in in 4 uh, 16 it will be he will be as a mouth for you and it will be as as if you were God for him in light of that turn to 7 1 and 2 mm -hmm. when I was growing up uh, we were always sort of taught that when someone got up to preach they would pray and that the thing that they said was the absolute word of God and that way. Yeah. So that's there's, there's, there's not a word of that in Scripture. 
no place. That's the way it was, right? I, I know. And I've heard, well, well, we'll say more about these things as we go. Seven, one, and two. Parallel passage, same ideas, but with slightly different wording. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So what is a prophet? Based on putting Exodus 4 and 7 together, what is a prophet? Yeah, well, put, just taking those two passages we've just looked at, what is a prophet? Well, go back to chapter 4 and verse 16. What is a prophet? Yeah, no, well, what, just just what, look at 416. A mouth. Not a mouthpiece, a mouth. Um, how much does your mouth... Uh, what, how much role does your mouth have in planning what you say? Nothing. Nothing. Now, in the execution of it, it has too much at times. But, uh, but in terms of planning, a mouth doesn't know what's coming until the brain tells it. Yes? By the same token, a, a prophet may not know anything until the Lord has put the word in his mouth. And if the Lord is silent, then the prophet has nothing to add. Observe. A prophet can be wrong, not as a prophet, but because he doesn't have the word of God. He doesn't have the word of God at every moment of his life. Ezekiel has that unusual experience. Do you remember this? Ezekiel is not one of our favorite books. We don't spend a lot of time in it. Um, but Ezekiel, as a sign to the people, he, he's in Babylon during the Babylonian captivity. As a sign to the people, he is bound, tied up tightly, and he must lie on one side for hundreds of days because, as God says, you will bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And then he turns over on the other side and, and stays for, for a, a substantially shorter period of time. But he is additionally unable to speak until God gives him a message. The only times he is able to speak during this year-long or longer period of his life are when God gives him a message and then he can speak but other than that his tongue cleaves to the roof of his mouth you remember this so a prophet can just as when he says pass the potatoes this is not the word of God <laughs> you know, even after I've prayed Fred <laughs> pass the potatoes is not the word of God um, but when, a, when, when God puts the message in the mouth <coughs> It's the word of God. It is not his perspective on the word of God. It is the word of God. He's a mouth. Are you with me? All right. So we have this, these two passages. I'm sorry, I forgot what this was on the screen, or we could have done this without turning. But it's always better to see it in the text anyway. Next is Jeremiah 23. Um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So... Um, Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah, as, as many of the prophets did, had to contend with false prophets. And Jeremiah 23, it's on page 1098. Uh, uh, I, my favorite professor used to say, it's on page 1098 in the right Bible. And I, I said that in my class in Memphis one time, and afterwards a lady came up and she said, Jim, what is the right Bible? I, you missed the point. It's a joke. <laughs> but, uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse 16, long passage. Jeremiah is confronting. He's in he is in Jerusalem while Ezekiel is off in Babylonian captivity. They're contemporaries. Uh, they're, they're exact contemporaries. And in, in both of them are dealing with false prophets. Jeremiah has a, a rather lengthy passage dealing with it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. So if I've planned the message, this is not the word of God. You feel free to disagree with Chuck Swindoll, do you not? No, <laughs> Curtis, Curtis and I were talking about it uh, earlier. Uh, you don't agree with everything Chuck says. I don't suppose. Not very much, but there are things that he says. You think, I'm not so sure about that. 
You don't agree with me on everything I say. Oh, why? What you're yeah, it depends on what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to argue with your teaching? Well, yeah, but you can still say, I'm not so sure, right? Don't you at times think that way? And that's right. That's the, the right and good thing to do. You should not um, surrender your mind to any teacher. We are teachers. We are not prophets. Um, so um, if, if, if I'm not a prophet but claim to be a prophet and I've planned my message, I have proven myself not to be a prophet. Are you with me here? So going on, verse um, 17. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. Mind you, you can even quote scripture in the service of a lie. Satan did this with Jesus. Uh, Cast yourself down from here. For it is written, um, uh, he has commanded his angels concerning you, that they bear you up lest you, you dash your foot against a stone. So I can take scripture out of context and still not be speaking the word of God. I can, take, I can put the emphasis on the wrong syllable in scripture and have uh, still misrepresent the word of God and therefore not be a prophet. Fred? Jim, it says in, in this text that these, these quote, prophets came to him. By what, they obviously were not prophets yeah. in the sense we're talking. By what basis did they... The people consider themselves, and they themselves to be um, all, all of the nations of the ancient Near East had prophets. What, I, I'm, I'm a little foggy on the details here. It may not be that Egypt did, but all the other nations of the Middle East had prophets. And a king would, would, would um, uh, look for prophets to help because they had been trained in various... Um, devices for discerning the will of uh, the will of the uh, of the gods or the will of the future. <laughs> um, the technical term in in at least one of them is extispacy, and I know you've just been dying to hear this word. It's e x s t i p i s y s y I think uh, could be c y extispacy. Extispacy was the art of taking a goat or a, or a sheep's liver and looking at the various features on it and determining the will of the gods through the, through the, the liver. Hepatoscopy. <laughs> uh, and um, when th- th- there are whole books, just reams of books that were written in ancient languages on all the various things that happened when you observed an anomaly in a, in a sheep's liver. So they'd sacri- if you wanted to know what, whether the plan that you're making is going to work, they'd go sacrifice sheep, pull out the liver, look at it. And the, the, the guy who did this, the ex-dispacist, would, <laughs> would, then, uh, would then consult his memory or the texts to see well, in this year, when there was a when there was a, an anomaly in the in the uh, gate of the palace, that that's one of the terms that related to a feature of the liver. Uh, a king lost his kingdom. Can't hear. Okay, I, am, am I? No, maybe that'll do it. Maybe. All right. So if you if you saw that, then you'd tell the king. Well, look, uh, the last time we saw this, the uh, king lost his kingdom. And that was supposed to guide them. These were, these were people who were called, among other things, prophets. And so you wanted such people around. And everybody, uh, anybody who had the capacity to do the kind of study and preparation would be delighted because it would be an honored position. You'd have be right by the king, probably live in very good lifestyle. So they're, they're false prophets, though. Verse, uh, 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 um, verse 17 continues. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. These guys specifically are violating what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah. But who, and here here comes the critical statement here, and this is very important. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? 
who has given heed to his word and listened. The counsel of the Lord is not just getting information from God. The counsel of the Lord is his closest um, associates, the angelics, uh, the angelic beings who, who are closest to God, are part of the secret counsel of the Lord. You will perhaps remember in your American history, uh, Harry Truman and his uh, kitchen cabinet. What 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 was that a reference to? Advisors, but he had advisors. Yeah, yeah. The reason you get a cabinet office is not that you are trusted by the president, it's that you've got political clout and you, you have to be rewarded for helping the president get elected. But the kitchen cabinet was an unofficial group who were closest to Truman that would come in and advise him, give him advice, and he could lay out his plans and hopes and dreams, and they could tell him, man, eh, that's a pipe dream, you can't do that. Uh, but the, the cabinet officers are officials. There's a difference between official authority and... and um, What's the other the term? Um, unofficial will do. That's not the word I'm looking for. There's actually a term. Formal and informal authority. The cabinet has formal authority, but informal authority is much more powerful. Um, you may have, if you're a pastor, for example, you may have elders and deacons, but there may be people in the church who have far more influence over the church than the elders and deacons have. And you're a fool if you don't recognize that and try to work with those who have informal power. Um, the are Lord. Saying, are you saying because they have the pastor's ear? Or because yeah, because they're trusted okay. people. Uh, God has, in Scripture, we, we find evidences of this. God has a council which is both formal and informal because they're, they're recognized by God, number one. They're informal and they're informal in that. Uh, they are the, 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 the beings that he has associated most closely with himself. The prophet belongs to the inner counsel of the Lord. In that regard, then, the prophet stands above the king in Israel. Uh, the, the prophet has a higher status in the theocracy than the king has. How many times in Israel's history, and I trust now to your reading of the Old Testament, um, how many times in Israel's history, when a prophet came and gave a message the king didn't like, did the king kill the prophet? Not really often. It was only a couple of times. Um, very, very ir- irregular for the even for even for pagan kings in the northern kingdom, they they didn't normally oppose the the prophet of God because they knew that that God was involved and and, and bad things would happen if you killed the prophet. You follow this? So there were some times, but normally speaking, it didn't happen. The, the uh, implication of this is most of the kings recognized that the prophet was higher than they were in the theocracy. So when Nathan came to David and he said, you're the man, Nathan, uh, uh, David didn't kill him. He didn't oppose him. He bowed to the word of God. Yes? I, am, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan then affirmed, God has also taken away your sin, you will not die. Um, the, the point is then that the prophet belongs to the inner counsel of the Lord, and when he has stood in the council, he is bringing... See, see God doesn't have a council so that he can find out what to do. He has a council um, as, as the beings that he gives the highest authority in carrying out his word. In effect, so you remember in uh, in Genesis uh, twenty eight at Bethel, Jacob saw the ladder extending from heaven to earth, and the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. What are they doing? Well, as they descend, they're coming from uh, the 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 court of the king on a mission to be fulfilled. As they ascend again, they're going back to give reports of what they're doing. Why in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, when there came a day when the sons of God came before the Lord and, and, and Satan also was among them? Why? What's he doing there? Because he's a creature of God and he still has an obligation to give an account of his actions to God. Are you with me here? So, uh, so there, this is the kind of the outer 
rim of the council, but the inner council the prophet belongs to, and it's it, he is a, a key representative of God. Yes, sir. Can I have a question? In those days, those common people, they heard from the prophet and they That's a great question, and we'll be talking about that shortly. Marvelous question. Um, so, the prophet is an ambassador from God's secret council. And in that regard, let me read a little further in Jeremiah 23, verse 19. Uh, that's too early. Um, verse 21. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my council, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil, de- evil of their deeds. So the, pro- the, the false prophets have a great deal of judgment upon them. Now, I'm sure you have some questions about that. I'm thinking of questions about this verse, which I can't answer. So uh, please don't ask them. Let's go on. <laughs> Um, the nature a, a, a prophet is therefore a, a mouth uh, the prophet is a member of the secret council and the prophet is an ambassador from the court of the great king does this make sense so far what we need to know here is the nature of an ambassador if we're using categories that are common in the ancient Near East it's sometimes helpful to think about how these concepts are used in the ancient Near East, and this turns out to be incredibly helpful. This that I'm about to give you comes from a discussion of Hittite prophets and or, or ambassadors, not prophets, ambassadors, a, 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 a Babylonian and Assyrian ambassadors. This is just a discussion of things that are going on in the world around uh, Israel. But I want you to think a minute as we go. Think, how how appropriate is this to the role of a prophet in the Old Testament? So first, in general, their duty was limited to the delivering of a message and the receiving of an answer. And if this answer was such as required a rejoinder, they returned for fresh instructions unless they had been authorized how to act or speak in, in case such an answer should be given. The prophet is not an interpreter of the word of God. He is a speaker of the word of God. Are you with me here? If people ask questions, if God has given him no guidance, then he is not free to answer. Uh, This is from Herbert Huffman in the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is not even talking about the Bible. Um, Second, um, there is a communication from the divine world, normally for a third party through a mediator, the prophet. Um, again, Huffman and his treatment of it. God gives a prophet a message, tells the prophet who the message is for, and the prophet's task is then to go give the message uh, to um, I can't remember whether it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel at this point. To one of them, he says, uh, Jeremiah it is, um, Do not say, I am a child. I don't know how to speak. You shall surely speak. And if you do not speak, I'll bring the things on you that I'm I'm promising to these people. So your task is to speak only. Second, or in this case, uh, here, by the way, is Hammurabi receiving the law from the god Shamash, the god of justice. His claim here, you know the name Hammurabi, I guess. Uh, Most of you do. Hammurabi was an 18th century BC king of Babylon, and uh, he promulgated a, co- a law code, which is the the most complete law code we have. It turns out we only have about 60 percent of it. Um, some later king um, had it scraped off the the uh, basalt rock that it was written on, but um, uh, it's it's the most complete. But he claims that this law is directly from the god. Um, Second, the ancient prophets often got their messages through ecstasy, uh, dreams, 
apart from induced dreams in most instances, so no peyote, okay? Uh, or what may be called inner illumination. So, so it was not that they had gotten techniques for observing the flight of birds or watching tea leaves as they float in a, in a tea, tea cup. It's, it's um, inner illumination. Yes, sir? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, in Hebrews 1, most of you will know this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in the last of these days spoken unto us in his son. How did he do it? I don't know. In a variety of different ways. Daniel had dreams and visions. Uh, so did Ezekiel. Um, Jeremiah, the word is put in his mouth. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and by the way, uh, folks, these prophets functioned in the ancient Near East outside of Israel for centuries. So they must have been right often enough that the king could make some sense out of it. Do you follow this? Right is is a very broad term at this point. Um, yes. So when someone like Nebuchadnezzar has a dream mm -hmm. that is. God, yes. Daniel interprets it. Yeah. What is going on between God and Nebuchadnezzar now? Well, beyond what you just said, I can't say any more. Um, God's not functioning as a prophet. At that no, he's received a dream. Daniel is the one who interprets it, so he's the he's functioning in the prophetic role. But the point is that God is free, folks. We forget this. God is God, and we're not. And that means he can, you know, where does a 600-pound canary sleep? Anywhere he wants. So, so God's not a 600-pound canary, but, but when he decides to do something, what limitations does he have? None. So I don't know how he did it. Um, but, but what's interesting, Daryl, in that situation is that the, that the false prophets in Nebuchadnezzar's court could not interpret so what's going on, this much, I thought you were going in a different direction, so I was preparing an answer for the wrong, for the wrong question. But, but, but uh, what's going on is God has, has given the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. God is giving the interpretation to, Jonah, to Daniel, and he's putting the two together. By the same token, in, in, Moses before, in the case of Moses before Pharaoh, um, there were things that Moses did that were works of God that, the, that Pharaoh's servants could do. But it kept going till the point where the, the, the uh, diviners and magicians of Pharaoh's court couldn't do the work, and they realized this is the finger of God, and they tell Pharaoh that, and he won't listen. So uh, in that respect, we're, we're going to come eventually to um, the question, can a prophet be wrong about the future and I'm going to be I'm, I'm a little disconcerted by this but scripture requires me to go someplace with it I, they won't be wrong but I'll have to explain in what sense a prophecy can be given and not be fulfilled um, but um, um, the, the reality is God asserts and we'll see that before long God asserts through Moses that the prophet's predictions of the future will come to pass. Can demons do that? Predict the future and have it come to pass? Sometimes. Yeah, and I know this because I'm a language professor and that means I have no heart. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a compassionate person and be a language teacher. You cannot listen to the weeping of your students and have them learn the language. Uh, but every semester I put out a, a syllabus and in the syllabus, there are the objectives and there are the requirements and the reading requirements and written assignments. And there is a schedule. And on the schedule, I have predict the future. A demon can predict the future. See? Uh, <laughs> now, I don't have a demon. I don't have a doctor of ministry. I have a THD, doctor of theology. But so, but... The point still is, I can predict the future, and it can come up, come to pass, 
Demons can predict the future and it can come to pass. Not, but in neither case is this a prediction of the future. This is setting a schedule that I tell you about and then we live up to that schedule at some level. God doesn't allow demons to carry out their whole will. So, so there are times when God intervenes to prohibit, prohibit the demon from carrying out the plan that he has told you, and so his, his plan fails. Does this make sense to you? So, so not all predicting the future is predicting the future. Yes? <laughs> my my most unforgettable character. Yeah. What you're saying then is that Daniel interpreted the dream, but yet your definition of a prophet was a mouth. Yeah. Not somebody who interprets. Well, no, I, that's not what I was saying precisely. Daniel is getting from God the interpretation, but it's not something he thought up ahead of time. Okay. See, he he uh, God gave him. Do you recall the event? Daniel and his friends stopped to pray because all the prophets and diviners and magicians and there's a whole list of the the functionaries are going to be put to death. And so Daniel and his friends get together. Your shack, my shack, and Abednego. Uh, But um, they got together and prayed. Uh, uh, um, I know, I know. It could have been worse, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. But... They got together and prayed because what Nebuchadnezzar required of them of the men to do was, you must not only give me the interpretation, I won't know whether your interpretation is right or wrong. You must give me the dream too. I won't even tell you the dream. So God revealed the dream and its interpretation to, to, uh, to Daniel. And so he really was functioning as a prophet. Um, so Daniel didn't have to contemplate anything. No, he didn't plan it. Yeah. He, he got it from the Lord. Yes, sir. And what's remarkable in Joseph's account is that the brothers and, and his father could also interpret the dream. They knew exactly what it meant. So I'm, I, this is an odd kind of deal, and I don't know quite how to deal with everything that's there, but I can give you what I think I know. Here. Um, here is a liver model. <laughs> With, and you see all the dots and the, and the lines on it. Uh, it they, they, they studied these things carefully and had whole lines. Here's actually a quotation. If the entire liver is anomalous, omen of the king of Akkad regarding catastrophe. If you see this, if, if the whole thing's messed up, then there's a catastrophe coming. Um, so his, his little son falls and breaks his leg, and it's a fulfillment of the prophecy. Or the kingdom collapses, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy. Yes, brother? Uh, what, I don't know if this is the right time, but what, what, um, what are your thoughts on like, uh, evaluating a liver or casting lots or using the urine of someone in those yeah. situations to determine the rule of the Lord? Um, there is a fellow named Mike Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. Oh, you know about Mike? Uh, Doug, Mark Douglas? Um, um, he's he's an odd fellow, he's uh, just odd. But he's he's well respected by people whom I respect, and his 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 dissertation was on these kinds of issues. Um, trying to think of the title, he has, he originally came out with two books, and but if you go on my on uh, Amazon, you can look up Mike Heiser and get his guidance. There are some of these things that God instructs Israel to use, the casting lots, for example. Um, there are others that God prohibits from use. And so there's, there's more here than I can, I can deal with on my own at this point. Um, third, there's an immediate message, that is, a message that does not require technical specialists to interpret it. That is, if you're getting the... Getting the guidance through examination of a sheep's liver, this isn't from God. You don't have to be trained for this. We'll talk about the schools of the prophets later, and it looks like it's going to be maybe next week when we get to this. But uh, the schools of the prophets are more likely to be 
disciples of the prophet and not people in training to become prophets. All right, so, um, fourth, the likelihood that the message is unsolicited. Most of the time when God gave a message, it was unsolicited. There were some times when it was solicited. So Saul and his servant are out, King Saul and his servant are out looking for the donkeys, his father's donkeys, and uh, they can't find them, and Saul is ready to give up. Uh, we we, we got to go back home. Dad's going to be worried about me. And the, prophet, uh, the, the servant says, the servant says, Oh, there's a prophet over here in the town. We could go see him. Oh, I don't have any money to pay him. Servant has the money. Rich man's kid doesn't have any money. Why? Because somebody always carries that filthy stuff. <laughs> so, so they go, and, and people do come to the prophet to get guidance for their circumstances. So it's not completely unsolicited, but the likelihood is that it's unsolicited. Again, we're still talking about Huffman and ancient Near Eastern prophecy, the ambassador as a, as a role. Um, fifth, the likelihood that the message is exhortatory or admonitory. We're either in the message, you're either exhorting somebody to do something or warning them against doing something. Think about the prophets that you know in the Bible. Yeah? Exhortation and warning are kind of the linchpins of everything that they have to say. Um, so this turns out to be pretty close to what we're talking about on uh, what a prophet is. Two tests of a prophet are given, though, in Scripture. Um, one that we remember, one that we don't remember. I'm going to start with that one first because it's given first. Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, 13, I'm sorry, I always get that wrong. Deuteronomy 13. lost the ability to turn pages. My fingers are getting too smooth. They won't catch the pages. Deuteronomy 13.1 If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning the, what, that which he spoke to you, saying let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall, not, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. Here's, here's the point. There's more that we could say here, but this is going to grab the point. The first test God ever gave of prophecy is coherence with prior revelation. If I come up with a revelation today that says to you all the churches are wrong, all the, all the creeds are wrong, I am restoring the truth to the scriptures, then you know I'm wrong. I'm not a prophet of God. Are you with me here? Um, there are those who treat the New Testament as a complete di- a, a digression from the old, and so complete is that digression that when they, when they quote the New Testament, one very well-known scholar, um, I say very well-known, he's, he's uh, in scholarly circles, he's very well-known, British scholar, um, he's passed on to whatever reward awaits him by now, but, but he believed that the New Testament quoted the Old Testament completely out of context, and no one could ever read the Old Testament and get the message that the New Testament authors were giving. I, I ran across this in a, I was interviewing for a faculty position on the East Coast a number of years ago, and one of the prof, one of the profs there in that seminary took this very position. No, no, they have the Holy Spirit. They can make they can make the Old Testament say whatever they want to. Well, folks, that's Mormon theology. <coughs> if that's the way I am to treat the New Testament, I have no reason not to be a Mormon because the later interpretation corrects or even changes the older revelation. But you see, uh, t- t- hold your finger there. Well, don't. Uh, yeah, hold your finger there in Deuteronomy because we're going to come back to it. But turn to um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 
is Jesus a prophet or not? Yes. yes. Is he God or not? Yes. yes. Then why does he say what he says here? Uh, Matthew 5, um, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. If he's God, doesn't he have the right to change things? Why wouldn't he? Ah, and that's the crucial point. God is a God of truth, and he cannot contradict himself. So what is Jesus saying here? One of the things he's saying is, you will know that I am telling the truth because my message is coherent with everything that's gone before me. Turn to Romans chapter 3. We haven't been in Romans in a week or two, so I thought maybe, <laughs> thought maybe we need to go to Romans. Chapter 3 and uh, verse 19. Sorry, verse 21. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Go to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 5, is that where I need to be? Sorry, 4 is where I need to be. Um, Verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to be boast about, but not before God. Um, So, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Now, he quotes from the the Old Testament. What, what, What book? Genesis. And then in verse 6, he quotes from David in Psalms. He has given the testimony of the law and the prophets. Why does he do that? Because he's also a prophet. He's an apostle. My impression as as I've thought about these things over the years is that an apostle almost, it comes near, being an apostle comes near having all the gifts. Um, I don't know whether I can say that. I, I certainly can't say that they, they have all the gifts, but they, can, they come near having all the gifts at work in their lives. If he's a prophet, why doesn't he just tell us the word of God and not worry about what the Old Testament said? Because he will, he will validate his prophetic status by showing that his message is a continuation of what has always been given. Are, are you with me here? So the first test of a prophet, and the most important is coherence with previous revelation. Now, being coherent does not mean being identical. So I may lead in new directions, but those new directions must be consistent with the prior message. Does this make sense to you? Nobody in in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, nobody but Jesus ever had the notion that the Messiah who would reign would also be the Messiah who dies. You remember even questions that came up. We have heard that Messiah continues forever. How do you say? He must, he must uh, uh, die. And, and so you may, you may put together things that, that nobody understood before, but that's not because of a failure of the revelation. It's a failure of understanding. It's a different kind of thing. The second test of a prophet is the one everybody knows, Deuteronomy chapter 18. So let's go back to Deuteronomy uh, 18. Um, you have in verses 9 and following warning against false teachers and false prophets. Uh, that goes down to verse 14 and then 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Uh, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Okay? You, we might paraphrase this in, in modern English. You must listen to him. It's going to be a prophet like Moses. Well, what is this prophet like Moses uh, going to do? Uh, this is according to all that you asked of the Lord, your God, at, at Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, 
Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not hear this great fire anymore, for I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from, their, from among their, their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. So we're right back to Gen- Exodus chapter 4. He shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come to pass that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. You must have, therefore, a crucial question in your mind if you're hearing this for the first time. Well, how will I know? And this is part of the question that came up a few minutes ago. How do we know? And I don't have a complete answer to this, but I do have a beginning of an answer. Uh, So verse uh, 20 But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak. If God has not commanded a message, and you speak it as if it is the message of God, you're a liar, and you're misrepresenting God. Um, A a prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Um, the gift of prophecy today is not being blunt. That's just being un- uncaring and, un- and lacking in compassion. Well, I just speak what I, what I have because I have gift of prophecy. No, you don't. You're mean. You have a mean spirit. You need to get over this. I said this in a class in Memphis, and they, but there were a couple of people who got upset with me. But they were wrong. Yes, sir. I've heard people say there are New Testament prophets today. We're going to talk about that. Not under the same standards as the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, That may be next week, but we're going to talk about it. All right. So going on, verse twenty-one. Here's the question: You may say in your heart, "How will we know the word which the Lord the Lord has not spoken?" That that becomes pretty important. Yes. If I got a if I got a stone a prophet who who speaks in the name of the Lord but is not a prophet, and if I will be held infinitely, everlastingly accountable for listening to a prophet, i got to know who, whom to listen to. So, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. Even if it does come true, remember what we read earlier, about a prophet giving you, uh, in, in where was that? Deuteronomy 13. A prophet gives you a, a, a word or a sign, right? A sign or a wonder. And it comes to pass. Well, because God doesn't keep all demons from all lies. Yes? If Satan is the father of lies and a liar from the beginning, then those who serve him will be telling lies. But folks, a lie only works because it's pretty close to the truth. Now, we've talked about this before, but if I took a piece of paper that's, um, that's uh, blue and it has 100 written in each corner and it's got Daffy Duck's picture in the middle, and I say to you, do you have change for a $100 bill? I, I, I'm kind of short on... You won't take it, right? Uh, I was, we were watching a television show the other day my wife loves uh, uh, detective shows, and so we watched hours of detective shows. <laughs> but, uh, now, she never listens to these, these recordings, so I'm safe. But uh, uh, <laughs> she has the living voice. <laughs> uh, so so uh, at one point, they were dealing with, a, with a counterfeiting United States currency, and they showed this one that was just nearly perfect, except right around the rim of the picture where it says United States. At one point it said untied states. That was the only... <laughs> that was... The person who did it was dyslexic, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but but, but just that was the only error. Everything else, the bill would have passed. Are you with me? That's right. And that's the point. In order to get a lie to work, it has to include an awful lot of truth. So it's not how much truth is in the message, it's how much error and what the error does to it. Does this make sense to you? So if a prophet comes 
And he, if there's even a little bit of divergence from prior revelation, then he's not a prophet of God. But then when a prophet does a sign or a, or a wonder and it doesn't come to pass, this is not a prophet from God. The implication here is um, that, that, a pro, that a prophet can only be accurate. Okay. Yes, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, so what do you do with Micah 5.2? Micah is prophesying in the 8th century B.C., contemporary with Isaiah, and he he pronounces the name of the place where the Messiah will be born is Bethlehem. That's 700 years from now. So how do we know? And and I I can't answer all the questions, but, but within the terms of the passage, it's important. What I must end with is what I must explain. Jeremiah 18, 1 to 10, Ezekiel 26, 7, 29, 18, and comparing also Jeremiah 27, 8, and 12, there are prophecies that did not come to pass, prophecies given by God that did not come to pass. Now, what's in the parentheses is very important. The prophecy that I'm referring to in in this note on the screen is a prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would take would conquer Tyre and be rewarded with all the loot, the plunder from the city of Tyre. So there'd be great wealth for the people of, of Babylon. But two chapters later, three chapters later, in chapter 29 of Ezekiel, God says, because Nebuchadnezzar didn't get Tyre, I'm going to give him Egypt. Well, <laughs> wait a minute now, God. You said all prophecies come to pass. But this one didn't come to pass. And the, the implication is something happened. What happened? What's in the parentheses, Jeremiah 27, 8 and 12, has been telling people in his day, it is God's will that you submit to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And in fact, what did happen in Tyre is that before Nebuchadnezzar took the city, uh, Ethbaal II, I think is his name, the king of, of Tyre, submitted to Babylon, and so they didn't get the plunder. Are you with me here? So I have two, I have a commandment and a prophecy. You assume, as, as the northern kingdom did, that they're not going to submit to Babylon, and so, or the southern kingdom, uh, so the, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But Tyre did submit, so which, which prophecy takes priority? Both of them must be honored, Yes? So where there is a specific commandment that poses a condition for the fulfillment of a maybe another prophecy given, when that condition is met, the prophecy must be changed. So that there are, in, when the text makes it clear, there are implied conditions on the fulfillment of a prophecy. I, uh, it's not right to say God changes. No, no. It's that God brings about the change to the circumstances and so fulfills everything together. By the way, Tyre finally did, uh, was destroyed, but not by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it, it, yes, sir. From Jonah preaching to Nineveh doesn't give it as conditional. Uh-huh. He did repent, yeah. and it wasn't overthrown. But remember what Jonah says in chapter 4. This is what I said when I was in my land. I knew you were going to save these people. I knew you weren't going to destroy them. Why do you give for Jonah? He goes to Nineveh and he preaches yet 40 days and Nineveh is destroyed. Why do you give prior notice? If, if, you, have, if you have rental prophecy, prophecy, if you have rental property, <laughs> I don't know, how, what would a rental profit be? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Balaam was a rental profit. So, uh, but if you have rental property, and you've got a tenant that's not paying the rent, you, you serve notice of eviction. Why? Well, first of all, it's the law. You, you'd rather have a slow-pay tenant than no-pay tenant, right? So if you had no tenant at all, that property is not giving you what you must have in order to keep that rental property in, in, in play. Am I, am I getting the point across? So what God is seeking is not the destruction of the wicked. Why will you die? 
God says to the wicked. What he's, not, he's not seeking the destruction of the wicked. He's, re, he's seeking repentance. And when he gets it, repentance trumps everything. So uh, this, we're almost through. We're not quite. Uh, next time, um, here is the summary. Next time, we'll deal with a couple of other problems that have come up. What about prophets today um, is, is one. Uh, what's the other? I've forgotten. Sons of the Prophets. Um, no, and I can't because I would uh, lose my job. <laughs> but, but, uh, so we'll, we'll take up the two questions of the sons of the prophets, and then what about New Testament prophecy? That's come up a couple of times this morning, so we'll come back and do that next week. Then, once we finish that, we're going to do some introductory stuff. Will we ever get through introducing... This is all such untrodden territory. We've got to do something with this stuff to get us ready. So I'll talk about the authorship of Isaiah and what the book is about and its structure and so on. And we'll, then we'll go into uh, Isaiah chapter 1. Let's close with prayer. Uh, Father, you spent enough time speaking through prophets and about prophets in Scripture. We, re- we really must need to know what these things are. So, Father... Um, Drive us back to your word. Cause us to search these things out. Are they, are they really true? Is this guy with the microphone giving us the truth? Um, and then, Father, lead us to be people who hearken to the word of the prophet. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Yeah. Uh, going back about 20 minutes ago, a uh, comment about... Uh, New Testament authors that would refer to Old Testament? Yes. Like, think about-